Hey, this is Jim and Scott with the Overtime Football League. Overtime Football League, let's go! We are back with another edition of Overtime Football League. This is your host, Jim Lorgan, and I am joined today once again by Dub. Scott is out again, and he will be back on Thursday. Uh, you might remember Dub from last week. How are you doing today, Dub? Doing great, Jim. Thank you once again for inviting me to help you co-host uh, this week. It's going to be a great time, and let's talk some football. I am excited for it. Well, I guess to start off, you and I ended last week kind of jumping into the Cowboys and Giants game, and definitely were incorrect. We spoke a little bit too quick, just saying that the Cowboys were for sure going to come back and win that game, but we were not right. What happened in that game? Well, honestly, the Dallas offense looked like it had a lot of trouble dealing with the New York Giants' uh, emerging defense, that pass rush of Olivier Vernon and uh, Jason Pierre-Paul, just too much for the uh, for Dak Prescott to handle. This is the third week in a row he's been playing uh, not up to par. So Third week in a row, I believe, under 200 yards yep, receiving. Exactly. He... You know, the D- Dallas has been winning, but that's a testament to Ezekiel Elliott and the offensive line's play on offense. I think Dak Prescott's kind of regressed since his early season form. And what happened to Des Bryant in this game? Because he was pretty much non-existent, I believe. And he caught one ball right at the end of the game, finally caught a ball, and fumbled it, which kind of was the end of the game. Yeah, that's not what you need from your top-tier receiver. That's the guy you count on to catch those tough passes. And to see him fumble right at the end of the game when the Dal- when Dallas was about to drive was just a huge shot in the arm for the Cowboys offense. I wouldn't say that the Giants played fantastic, but they got it done. And Odell Beckham Jr., he caught that one slant and just took off to the house. And I didn't know that Odell Beckham Jr. was that fast, but wow, he can burn. Yeah, it really was a, a great overall effort by the New York Giants defense on Sunday night. The offense, not very good. Eli Manning, only 17 for 28, 193 yards, one touchdown, one pick. But the defense pulled through, and that's a testament to a potent, uh, potential playoff run uh, brewing for the New York Giants. If Tony Romo was in, would have the Cowboys won this game? I don't think so. I think the Giants, again, played the perfect game. Um just putting on so much pressure on the quarterback. I don't think anyone, any quarterback, would have dealt well with that pressure uh, on Sunday night. I'd, I'd, I'll disagree with you. I think if Tony Romo was in, he would have won that game. Uh, it, that's something that you get from having a more experienced quarterback. They can read defenses a little bit better. They can know uh, when thing a play is going to blow up before it even happens. And that, this is probably one of the more difficult defenses that Dak has faced. And it was hard for him. Tony Romo might have won this game, but I don't think that's any reason for them to go with Tony Romo going from here on out. No, and I think, you know, an older Tony Romo might have had a lot more, you know, yes, he could have had a better, you know, job reading the defenses, but I think an older Tony Romo would have had a harder time avoiding that pass rush by the New York Giants. Dak Prescott, with his athleticism, uh, evaded as much pressure as he could on Sunday night. I think Tony Romo might have not fared as well as Prescott did, even though it wasn't well at all. So. And as we said, this is the third straight game two hundred yard with less than 200 yards for Dak, so it will be interesting to see what happens if that continues and he's not playing as well as the rest of the team. But one person that is not um, ready to lose his job at all 
Tom Brady, what happened with that game on Monday night? Well, Tom Brady looked absolutely fantastic, really kind of putting a punctuation mark on what has been a decent MVP campaign this year. Um, throwing for 406 yards on 25 attempts, or excuse me, on 38, uh, 25 completions out of 38 attempts. Um, one bad pick in the red zone, but other than that, he had a, a tremendous game. I will agree. The, the box score when the Patriots won this game, which was 30-23, to 23, that, I believe, really makes it seem closer than it was. The Patriots controlled this game, and what it really came down to was two special team turnovers basically in a row that put the Baltimore Ravens real back into this game. Other than that, they wouldn't have really been in it. The Ravens continued to find a rushing game and refused to run throughout most of the games throughout the season. And Tom Brady, they finally have on this team two outside receivers, which they haven't had really since Randy Moss is there. Uh, Mel, uh, Mitchell and Chris Hogan, they have been really good for this team. Yeah, honestly, the find of Mitchell was, this couldn't have come at a better time considering the absence of Gronk, who is the field stretcher for that offense on the Patriots. Finding Mitchell, someone who can stretch the defense a little bit, was great for Tom Brady. Well, I think he he was there. I mean, he's been there the whole time. They knew he was good, but he had that gruesome injury in preseason. I don't know if you remember seeing that with his arm just snapping. Yeah, and I, I think that's absolutely right. Uh, you know, he has been there when Gronk has been there, but I think the absence of Gronk has really allowed him to shine um, on the outside there, even though, you know, Gronk does line up on the inside, but Mitchell kind of has that stretch speed as well. And Joe Flacco, I think, has been playing a little bit better this season. Uh, he Starting with the beginning of the season, he was doing pretty bad, wasn't he? Yeah, Joe Flacco. Um, really, the Ravens' early season success relied on a, a dominant defense um, as well as an early, uh, easy early season schedule. Joe Flacco has been getting a lot better as time has gone on, but the Ravens just... It seems like the offense still is very flat. You know, Flacco threw 52 times this game. Had and he, 11 different receivers caught a pass in this yeah, game. which is great. But the the Ravens, they need a running attack. I mean, Kenneth Dixon, 11 attempts for 39 yards is not very good. Kenneth Dixon had more through the air than he did running. He had eight catches for 42 yards. Yeah, that's going to really hurt an offense. Joe Flacco's a you know, a very... Very good quarterback, but he's not elite level like, you know, Aaron Rodgers or Ben Roethlisberger or Tom Brady even. So they they need to find that running game. Otherwise, the Ravens might have troubles making the postseason this year. And then we're going to move on to news. Our first item of news is Jeff Fisher was fired. Dub, I know the last time you were on here, you were saying that he needed to be fired. And it happened. What do you think about that? I think it's a great move. The, the Rams were really struggling with Jeff Fisher just to, a man mired by mediocrity throughout his entire career. Um, as I mentioned, he only made the postseason, I think it was six times out of his 20 seasons, and he only made the Super Bowl once, and that was on the backs of an MV, back of an MVP season by Stephen McNair, so this well, was a really good move. We, I guess we, we all know that he should have been fired and you know for a while, but why now? Like it, The season's almost over. They've been this committed to him for this long. It, firing him with this many games left in the season is a statement. Were they angry at Jeff Fisher? But they had just committed to him with an extension earlier this year, and now that they're saying that they're done with him, why now? This, like you said, Jim, this was a statement on um, Jeff Fisher's 
mediocrity throughout his five seasons here there in uh, St. Louis and L.A. They needed to find someone with a lot of more star power, someone who could make that transition to Los Angeles a lot more meaningful and someone who has energy. Um, Jeff Fisher just didn't. Plus, there was a lot of issues with the front office and Jeff Fisher and Ram super uh, former Ram superstar Ed Dickerson and Jeff Fisher were not on great terms, and that was really it. Might be case. all that too, but also L.A. The Coliseum has just looked dead. It, this last game on Sunday, there was about ten percent of the people that were really in there. It was a completely unfilled stadium, and they must have just known we just moved. We need to find some way to make a statement. We need to f- start winning. And then I don't think it was a coincidence that today they came out and said they have a new logo ne- for coming next year, which is basically the same thing, but all white. And I think they just really are trying to pitch to the L.A. fans and say, stay with us. Yeah, I, I think they're, they were losing them this year. And, you know, L.A. is such a great marketplace for any NFL team, and it's going to be great for the Rams in the future. They don't want to be mired in mediocrity from Jeff Fisher, so that the change was definitely needed um, for both a financial and a you know a, just a football standpoint. Mm-hmm. And uh, another thing coming up, pretty interesting. The NFL has decided, I think after about eight years, they are now moving on from breast cancer awareness in October, as in they are no longer going to be wearing pink with their uniforms, no longer decorating the stadiums in pink, and they're going to something new. They are going to be uh, letting each team decide which cancer or cancers they want to support and use those colors with their team. I think this shouldn't be a controversial decision at all. I mean, it doesn't hurt anyone. This is something that allows each NFL team to really kind of personalize themselves in a sense, you know, having one team do prostate cancer, another do, you know, you know, colon cancer or whatever. Um, I think a lot of teams are still going to stick with breast cancer because it's something that affects a lot of people in the NFL. I know D'Angelo Williams, for example, on the Steelers feels very strongly about the breast cancer awareness movement. So I'm assuming the Steelers will remain with that. Uh, I know it's not the message exactly, but I'm excited for the new colors that will be uh, coming in uniforms. I know like prostates is a light blue and just uh testicular cancer that is orchid so it could lead to some interesting uniforms which again i know is not the message that they're trying to get across but i think it is good to bring awareness to different types of cancers and it's not done solely just by uh putting colors on there and then hoping people think more about that cancer also what the nfl does is they give uh money towards the team so that they can go out and promote awareness within the communities going out and holding seminars and doing different things to really promote awareness throughout the communities. And that is something good that the NFL is doing. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is going to be a great way for the NFL as definitely one of the biggest um, areas or platforms for a lot of these players to promote a lot of these uh, causes to definitely get their names out, get the names of these causes out there and get more awareness. And I think it'll be great for these causes that partner with each team. Another good thing that I believe the NFL is doing, they are now changing up the Pro Bowl. I guess the Pro Bowl had been growing kind of stagnant. Uh, They already decided this year that they were going to go back to the conference format, and now they are adding new things in with the Pro Bowl. They're going to be adding a skills competition. Uh, One thing that's happening is a dodgeball tournament between Pro Bowl members. They're going to have relay races. 
And I believe for the quarterbacks, they're going to be having throwing contests. Uh, and it seems pretty interesting. Yeah, I think this is something the the NFL is desperate to attract more view, views uh, to the Pro Bowl. The past few years, ever since they went to the team captain format, the Pro Bowl just lost its flair. And I mean, even before that, you know, when they were still doing the conference format. I mean, it was starting to lose its flair. Players weren't caring about the game. They were worried. People were backing out for good reason. But I think maybe this will add some more excitement for the players and maybe get them more excited to play the actual football game as well. Well, I I do look forward to the dodgeball. I'm definitely going to watch that. Precision passing, the what they're going to be doing, that is something that I'm interested in, do, in too because – I remember the days of Troy Aikman and with uh, Steve Young when they were doing all of that, and that was really interesting. I believe that they're also doing a best hands combination, uh, which is a quarterback and receiver duos from each team will show off their skills, connecting on as many pass attempts as possible before time runs out. And I think doing stuff like this is really interesting. As you brought up, the stagnation uh, from the years of past, i got to be honest, I... I enjoyed watching the Pro Bowl because it was a lot of great players going in together. Uh, I believe the past couple of players or, or years, J.J. Watt has really led to players trying hard and getting interested in it. But what's been bad, I believe, is the is the announcers. The announcers, the players will be playing hard. It's first down. They're driving down the field, and the announcers are just seem like they're introducing like a, a preseason game. And it's... That is what gets people uninterested. Uh, these games are still exciting, and even with games like the preseason, you got to get the announcers on the same page. And if you get the announcers acting like what is going on is exciting and interesting, then maybe the fans will feel like that. But if you're acting like, oh, the, we're just talking to basically no one right now, then people aren't going to be interested in it. Yeah, I definitely agree with you, Jim. I think the announcers, there's got to be a change there. The NFL's got to kind of crack down and be like, you guys need to draw more viewers in with your broadcast rather than just pretend like it's just another preseason game that's meaningless you know to us NFL fans out there it's it's awesome to watch we love to see our favorite players in the league go at it um competitively with one another but I think the league adding these new events is you know starting to draw in more of the casual audience the people that don't you know have as big of an interest in the Pro Bowl as you know possibly we do and one thing that I do think is good about this is they're not using just specifically pro bowlers for it. The dodgeball tournament will feature only pro bowlers. But reading this, the relay challenge, the precision passing, and the best hands, um, those all feature people from each NFL team. So you're going to be getting a wide berth, and it's going to give people a better chance to root for their specific team in the pro bowl, which is something cool. Um so moving on to our next thing, Ryan Tannehill. Turns out he does not have a torn ACL. It is just a sprained ACL, sprained MCL, possible to be back for the playoffs. What do you think about that? I think this is the best news that the Dolphins could have hoped for, but I still don't see it really mattering, as you said, Jim, until the playoffs. I don't think he's going to be coming back in the next three weeks, and that could desperately hurt the Dolphins' chances of making the playoffs, I think. They definitely still have a good shot. They have a decent backup quarterback in Matt Moore. But, you know, this is this is kind of, I think we expected Tannehill to be out for an extended period of time anyways. And I think it's, it still might hurt the Dolphins' chances of making the playoffs. 
Absolutely. I think Ryan Tannehill is pretty valuable to this team, and they're going to need him back. Uh, somebody that's not going to be back with their team, though, is Devin Hester, as he has been waived. Yeah, Devin Hester not performing to snuff this year. Um, you know, if you took the name off the back of his jersey, he would have been cut a long time ago. Uh, one of the greatest, if not the greatest, returners in NFL history. It's kind of sad to see. I think this is kind of the end of his career. Uh, the Ravens were his last shot at making a difference again in the NFL. And I think them waving him is going to be, like as I mentioned before, it's just going to be the end of his career. I don't think he's going to be coming back. Well, since it may be the end of his career, is he a Hall of Famer? I think if you look at his Bears career, he's certainly the greatest um, return man of all time. I think he might be but the thing is the issue is is that he didn't really make much of a difference outside of special teams to the bears and and he might have not made a difference besides out of special teams but he probably is the best kick returner the best punt returner ever so if we if he is an mvp what does it say about that position well and i think I think he will make the Hall of Fame because he's a fan favorite player, one of the greatest, you know, considered one of the greatest Bears of all time because of his performances, especially in the postseason when the Bears made it to the to the Super Bowl in 2006. Um, I think he will make the, the Hall of Fame, but I, th- I don't think he's going to be a first ballot. I think it might take a couple of years before he makes it in. Okay, so we are now going to be moving on to our new predictions. Uh, this is going to be just a little segment where we're going to be going over some things about what we're thinking for the end of the year. The first one that we're going to start off is talking about Dub. Who is going to be the MVP? Who is your MVP this year? It's a really tough call this year. There isn't anyone this year that has stuck out uh, throughout the first, you know, three quarters of the season as years past. Um Cam Newton last year, Aaron Rodgers the year before that, Peyton Manning in 2013. This year, there's not that many players that have stood out. Matt Ryan, um, Derek Carr, and Tom Brady really kind of topped the list of MVP candidates this year. And I think one of the three is going to get them. My choice is Matt Ryan. I think he is definitely the catalyst for the Falcons' resurgence. He's finally regained his Matty Ice form and has really taking control of that offense and that offense is what's powering the Falcons towards a potential playoff berth. Yeah. One thing that has bugged me about MVP is it is not who is the best player in the NFL. I think they should rename the award. It shouldn't be the MVP. It's because it's basically been who's been on the best quarterback for the team that has happened to go far into the playoffs is what the award really is. Yeah. I, I agree with you there, Jim. I think if you look at the numbers this year, both Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers, and Drew Brees should be in, in consideration for the award. Both are. I, I, I guess you could say that with Drew Brees before he had multiple games, two games yeah. in a row now with zero touchdowns and three interceptions True. in each game. I think, you know, that's a good that I, I'm glad that you mentioned that. Definitely has dampered any sort of potential whispers of him winning the MVP. It's not going to happen given that the Saints are 5-8 and eight right now, but... Aaron Rodgers, you know, I, they're they're marching towards the playoffs, and it isn't. It's it's because of Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers is the reason why the Packers are winning right now, as is you know a resurgent defense. But 
Rodgers is working without a true number one running back and, you know, guys on the outside there that aren't super consistent. He's got Devontae Adams and Jordy Nelson. Jordy Nelson leading the league in touchdowns, but, you know, he doesn't, he hasn't been working with the same type of weapons he has in past years. I know a lot of people are preaching that Matthew Stafford should be MVP this year, and that is one that I, again, do not see. He is ninth in the league in passing yards and 12th in the league in touchdowns, and his quarterback rating of 97.8 is also something that doesn't jump off as he is behind people like Kirk Cousins and uh, obviously behind Aaron Rodgers and Drew Brees. Who ha- and Drew? He's behind Drew Brees, who has thrown 14 interceptions this year. Yeah, and he's also you know behind guys that probably won't make the playoffs, such as Philip Rivers, Andrew Luck. Um, but I think the reason why the chatters have started is because he he doesn't play the greatest every game throughout the first three quarters, but then when it's the fourth quarter is when he turns it on, and that's really what's kind of propelled the chatter. And we've had this conversation before, Jim. We kind of disagree on the fact that he is in the conversation. I don't think he should win it, but I think he should remain in the conversation solely because he is he has been one, if not the most clutch quarterback this year. All right, well, I guess going back to it and, and who I think should win, Matt Stafford, uh, not Matt Stafford, sorry, <laughs> Matt Ryan. I agree with you. I think he has been the best quarterback thus far, um, and, and his team is doing decent. If they go far into the playoffs, I hope he wins it. Um, moving on to our next prediction, is which is going to be the comeback player of the year. Who do you got here? I've got DeMarco Murray here. I think last year with Philadelphia – awful season for him this year however he is second in the league in rushing yards only behind um, Ezekiel Elliott another person who has garnered a lot of MVP chatter as a rookie I think DeMarco Murray is the reason as long as a very efficient calculated Marcus Mariota and a, and a, a really good young offensive line the reason that the Titans are threatening for the AFC South in a couple of years, that Titans team is going to be a perennial contender with that rushing game and a very good uh, quarterback in, Matt, uh, in Marcus Mariota. I think DeMarco Murray has really gone under the radar this year for how well he has done. And it might be just because he doesn't have a ton of big, flashy plays that happen. He only has two uh, rushes over 20 yards. He only, or sorry, four rushes over 20 yards. So that's probably why he's not making anyone's highlight reel. But he is 1,135 yards already, and after what he did last season, that is pretty remarkable. Uh, Who I think should win uh, is Jordy Nelson. This guy, uh, hes it's not that he had a bad season last year, but he is coming off a pretty major injury. Uh, And with how old he is, I believe 31 now, he is leading the league in receptions. Or and sorry, he's leading the league in touchdowns, and he's catching each pass for twelve point two yards per catch, which is tied with Antonio Brown. Yeah, Jordy Nelson, a very good pick as well. I agree with you there, Jim. I think either one's a toss up. Um, I you know Jordy Nelson definitely deserves praise as well for Green Bay's um kind of resurgence on offense again this year. He's He's the most, again, the most reliable wide receiver for Aaron Rodgers. And as you said, he leads the league in touchdown receptions, which was a crazy stat that when I heard that was, I I didn't believe it given that 
the Packers have kind of flown under the radar this year, given all their losses. So I definitely think Jordan Nelson would be a, a fantastic pick as well for comeback player of the year. And moving on to our next prediction, offensive rookie of the year. Who do you got here, Dub? I think it's obvious that if Ezekiel Elliott doesn't win it, that's going to be, he's going to get robbed. Um, he has been the reason why along with you know many people claim that maybe the MVP award should go towards the Dallas Cowboys offensive line but Ezekiel Elliott looks fantastic uh cutting catching the ball just everything a receiver needs or excuse me a running back needs to do I think he is no doubt the offensive player or offensive rookie of the year excuse me yeah I would like to argue with you I don't think we need to spend much time on this one just because I don't think there's an argument there I think Ezekiel Elliott leading the league in rushing speaks for itself yeah absolutely and next will be the defensive rookie of the year and now this one could be interesting because I know who I have is Joey Bosa he's missed a couple games uh early in this year going through some contract negotiation things with the Chargers but he has been phenomenal. He has been lights out for this Chargers team, and they would be in a whole different place this year if they had just given him the money that he wanted right away. They would probably be in playoff contention. Yeah, and he's a major reason why the Chargers offense is actually kind of underappreciated, or excuse me, the Chargers defense is kind of underappreciated this year. They're not the, you know, they're not the worst defense in the league, and that's really because of Joey Bosa. Joey Bosa has been playing phenomenal from the defensive end spot um really disruptive um yeah just I, I i agree with you jim i think he is certainly the front runner for me for defensive player or defensive rookie of the year i think we need to include ramsey on okay the, there on you the jaguars go. yeah he's been playing very well this year um a jaguars, te- jaguars team that's not very good um but the defense has been flying under the radar playing very well. Jalen Ramsey, a, a true number one cornerback, establishing himself as such. He's been uh, shadowing every number one receiver that the Jaguars have played, and he'll only go up from here. I think he's a sleeper pick potentially for the defensive player of the year. Defensive rookie of the year, excuse me. Okay, so next we're going to move on to our last segment of the day, which is we got some questions from our fans. So I guess this would be a good time to mention that we have some social media that if you are listening and you don't know about, we have a Twitter that you can check out. Uh, make sure just to look that up. Our, uh, You can look up Overtime Football League, our entire handle. I probably should know offhand, but I would like to, uh, first of all, thank our social media coordinator, which is Mariah Fontheller that has put everything together. Oh, by the way, our Twitter is Overtime underscore League, uh, so make sure to look that up on Twitter. Mariah Von Heller again put together our Facebook page, which you can look up the Overtime Football League, and our Instagram is also going. And while I'm thanking people, I'd like to thank Ben Klatt for being our producer and putting the show together. Uh, so we got some questions from our fans on our Facebook page. Our first question uh, came from Drew Brusso. Who will win defensive MVP? I think it's a toss-up between Von Miller and Khalil Mack. I think the edge goes to Khalil Mack solely because that Raiders defense is really not that good. He's the reason why that defense and really the team has been sticking together. The offense, exceptional, but the defense has been, you know, about average. And that's because of Khalil Mack. He doesn't really have much help. Um, In addition, Von Miller, always his disruptive self, uh, ranked first in the league in sacks, 13.13.5 sacks on the year. So I think Von Miller, you know, kind of the trendy pick. 
but I think Mack has definitely fallen under the radar and deserves it a little bit more as the most valuable defensive player on the Raiders. I would definitely agree with that. There are a lot of defensive players that have been really under the radar this year. I wish that for comeback player of the year they had uh, an offensive and a defensive uh, position for that because my defensive comeback player of the year would probably be Zach Brown for the Bills. He has been phenomenal this year, coming really just, and I wouldn't say a comeback player, but just an outstanding player that like needs some recognition, needs an award in some way because he's been a special teams player and he's really come out and been amazing for him. But I would probably have to agree with you that it's probably Cleo Mack or Von Miller that is up for defensive MVP. Yeah, absolutely. And I like your pick of Zach Brown as comeback player of the year. He has been playing very well this year, very solid on a Bills defense that has been kind of underappreciated as a whole unit. They got torched last week by the Steelers, but the defense of a whole, as a whole still playing very well um, this second year under Rex Ryan. And our next question comes from Graydon White. Uh, he asking about what he is calling deflate gate two, uh, basically asking what do we think about the Giants versus Steelers game? And for people that might not know, the Giants have come out and accused the Steelers of deflating their footballs, which we all know about the deflate gate scandal that happened with Tom Brady. So, Dub, what do you think about this as a Steelers fan? Well, I was honestly shocked when I saw this. Uh, news report the other day I was you know I didn't even it, it didn't even cost my mind that something like that would happen I think it's a load of crap honestly I oh, think, oh, I okay. think like, here's why I think they sent basically what the league said in response to the Giants was that the they didn't submit a formal complaint and that when they looked through everything the footballs were fine and Everything was good to go, so it's kind of kind of got stomped right away, and maybe that's why it didn't really reach you know the airwaves and everyone's talking about it like they did uh, with Tom Brady against the Colts back in the AFC Championship game in uh, 20, 2014, the twenty fourteen season. So I think it's gonna just go away. I don't think there's anything to it. I have to agree. Uh, I don't know a lot about this. Things came out that they accused them, and then things came out that there was no official accusation. And then Ben McAdoo, coach of the Giants, came out and said that they do believe that they deflated some footballs. I guess, in all fairness, the NFL does have to like go through it just because it's happened before and it would be negligent to not go through it once again and everything. But I, I, I don't know how exactly uh, great this is, all is. Um, anyway, our third question and last question of the day comes from Mariah Fundheller, who said, uh, who is our social media coordinator, just kind of helping us out with another question. Uh, she asked, how do they decide which ref covers which games? Which is a pretty interesting question. What do you think about that? Well, and I know, I don't know all the parameters around how they decide. I know there's definitely like a, there's a bias. Um, there's a bias rule that like you can't be, you know, if you proclaim that you're a fan of the Saints, let's say, and you get assigned to a Saints game, uh, the league will take you off that game because of ba- bias reasons, obviously, and that has happened in the past. Um, yeah, so. Well, what I can say to this is the league does basically have, they have the best refs on the most vis- uh, vis- uh, visible. visible games. The ones that are going to be out there, they're going to have the best refs out there. Mm-hmm. 
But also the refs don't really get to know what games they're going to be covering until Thursday because they don't want it to be put out too far ahead of time and then there could be some tampering happening and people offering them money ahead of time. So they it's kind of random for the refs, but the NFL decides it just a few, not even uh, just a couple days beforehand. Yeah, and I know this question was basically in response to the fact that Jeff Triplett, the issue that we talked about on Sunday night's podcast, um, with calling hands to the face on just the wrong team uh, in the Bears-Lions game, um, erasing a positive play by the Lions uh, because of the call. Um, yeah, Jeff Triplett is off this week because of this infraction, and I think that's a good good um, decision by the league showing you know the rest of the refs, even though they shouldn't need to, that if, if you mess up, you know, you're going to be sitting out. You're not going to be making money, so... All right. Well, that is the end of our podcast today. We would like to again thank everyone for listening and make sure to check us out next time we are back, which will be Thursday, and Scott will be back for that show. So check us out on social media, and thank you for listening. <laughs>